Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, it is so amazing to be here this morning. Um, I don't know about everyone else, but I feel like this last week was the longest, coldest week of my life. <laughs> I don't know if London is usually this cold. Is it usually this cold, guys? It's like Arctic weather. Um, so if you've been uh, tuning in for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we are doing a series on Nehemiah. And we are looking at rebuilding our lives up from the ashes of COVID. Yes, come on. Um, which kind of feels really fun to think about um, rebuilding our lives. Although there is something really vulnerable in that as well. Especially after a year like 2020, when every single plan that you made was just like washed away on the sand. <laughs> And so what I want to talk about today is letting go of what we know and um, making ourselves available for change, making ourselves available to rebuild. And um, before, I, before I get into that, I just want to pray for us this morning. Um, so Jesus, Lord, I thank you that you are real and that you are here with us in this very cold February. Oh, God, I just thank you that, that your presence never leaves us, that you are always present, that you are always with us. Yeah. Jesus, I pray for passion to be ignited today. I pray for, pray for faith to be ignited. I pray for everybody watching this, that freedom would just get just released in their lives. I thank you, God, that you are the God of miracles. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, so the title of my message this morning is When God Takes a Long Time to Move Quickly. And uh, this message is to all of the faithful ones. And you know who you are. You are the ones who have contended for the promises of God over your lives. You're the ones who have believed and trusted when all the circumstances have, have said that this is never going to happen, when, um, when opportunities come and they go and nothing happens. This is to all of the faithful ones. So this morning, I'm going to be talking about Nehemiah the man. I know that, um, <laughs> that people have been doing chunks of scripture, but this morning I'm just going to be focusing on his faith journey um, and his sensitivity and bravery to connect to God's heart and to take action um, and to give up the only life he'd ever known. So firstly, I just want you to picture yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. So he is a captive, he is a foreigner, and he happens to have a great job. Um, I know when we think about the title cupbearer, it can kind of have sort of slave connotations to it. 
Um, but actually, a modern-day equivalent to Nehemiah's job would have been closer to a vice president. So he had um, the most trusted job in the royal court. He had political influence over the king. And the king not only had to trust him with his life, he actually had to like the guy because he, was, he lived so closely to him. And this is a massive, massive deal for Nehemiah. Um, not, not only because he was, you know, he was an exile, he was a foreigner, all of that stuff, but because he was a Jew. And that was the most unpopular faith at the time. Um, obviously, like, Babylon was a, was a melting pot of culture. Um, and, and everyone who was in Babylon would pay tribute to all the gods. But the Jews refused to do that, which is what made them so unpopular. So the fact that Nehemiah has this job with his background is like, he is like winning. He's winning at life. Um, now, what, what I found really interesting is that it's implied through the scriptures and scholars believe that Nehemiah was born during the 70-year exile. So that means that it was likely that he had never been to Jerusalem. It wasn't until the walls of the city were rebuilt that, um, th that it became the tradition that Jews would come from all over, every Passover, um, back to Jerusalem. But during these years of exile, there was none of that. Um, it would have been very unlikely, actually probably impossible, for someone who was in exile to return back to Jerusalem. And you'll notice this when Nehemiah is speaking about Jerusalem. He says to the king, he refers to Jerusalem as the city of my ancestors, not my home or where I was born. And I feel like this gives a whole new perspective to the story. I think that every other time I've read Nehemiah, I've always thought, oh, he's just, you know, he's just leading his people home. But actually, Babylon was the only home that he had ever known. And this makes Nehemiah part of the faithful remnant. The faithful remnant that was prophesied about throughout Scripture. The remnant that would turn back to God and fully trust him. Now, when Jerusalem was conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, one of three things happened to the people. Most of them were like really brutally slaughtered and just left. <laughs> and it, there's a big thing like all throughout the scriptures, if you read the Old Testament, it's like, they won't even be buried. Um, so like <laughs> that's sort of what happened to the majority of the people. The really, really poor people who managed to survive were just left to live in obscurity and um, sort of tend the land. But the cool people, and literally, this is, this is scripturally correct, the cool people, good-looking, you know, um, wealthy, well-educated people, were taken in chains and taken to Babylon. If you're interested in learning more about that, just read the end of Second Kings, um, or Daniel is brilliant, really interesting um, about this time, of, this time of history. So there is a, there is a strong chance that um, the, those who were exiled weren't able to take any possessions with them. Um, so everything that Nehemiah knows about the Torah and about the promises of God is likely to be passed down through his family through memorized scripture, which is a very common way that um, history was passed down through the generations during this time. So as a kid, 
in exile, Nehemiah would have, would have gathered around the stories, gathered around the promises. It would have been a part of their culture. And he would have known that the 70 years of exile was going to finish during his lifetime and that God was going to get, bring deliverance to the faithful remnant. Like he said in Jer- Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come and I will fulfill my good promises to you and I will bring you back to this place. And that is why when he receives the negative report about the walls not being built after the 70-year exile, he immediately returns to the promise of Moses that if people sin, they will be scattered. But if they turn and obey the laws, even if they are exiled to the farthest corners of the universe, that God will bring them back to Jerusalem. And we see him do this in, verse, in chapter 1. This is what it looks like to be part of the faithful remnant. The first place you turn is the promise. Now, I don't know about where you turn when you're in a time of trial, but, um, <laughs> but I, I um, had this moment several years ago. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm from Australia and I've been an expat for 10 years this year. And um, I think it was like my third or my fourth year, um, I was getting ready to, to I go home every year and I see my family and I get all of my Australian supplies. Um, And guys, if you knew how many Australian supplies I used, you'd be like, Georgia, you need to build a bridge and get over it. (laughs) But um, but I use a lot of Australian supplies. And anyway, it was this... Uh, It was the day before I was flying out and I was like frantically going around buying all of this stuff, like dishwashing detergent, like not dishwashing, clothes washing stuff. And anyway, I won't go, I won't bore you with the list, (laughs) but I was, I was packing my bag and, um, and I was like frantically trying to get all of my stuff. And God said to me in this moment, I call you Rachel. And I just immediately just felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. And I had this picture of Rachel when she leaves her father's house and where she puts the idols um, of her father Laban underneath her saddle. And, And I just, I saw myself and I was like, all of this stuff that I'm packing, all of my Nurofen Plus and all of my Australian chocolate is stuff that I turn to. It's stuff that if I need comfort, I turn to those caramello koalas. If I, you know, if I, if I had a headache, I turn to that. I turn to the Nurofen Plus. And um, anyway, and, and God, really, God really convicted me about it. And he just said, Georgia, I'm jealous of anything that you turn to before you turn to me. And he said, you know, if you turn to me first and then I, I point you in the direction of the caramello koalas, then I am still comforting you. I am still the source. But if you turn to that thing first, then that is defining you. So whatever you turn to first is the thing that defines you. And this is what is incredible about Nehemiah's story, is that the first thing that he turned to was the promise. The first thing that he turned to was his faith. 
It was like, no, 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 this is not the way it's meant to be. We have a promise from the living God. So he didn't turn to an idol when he got a negative report because he was a man living possessed by a promise. So much so that he was willing to risk everything, his life and his favour with the king. Now, I just want to talk about favour just for a little bit because I think it's something that can get really misconstrued when we start following it. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever heard like people say, oh, I'm just following the favour. Um, I hear that sometimes, you know, in Christ Christian circles. And um, I remember the first time I heard someone say that um, was when I was uh, in the States and I had a friend whose husband um, was like a great musician and he got this gig to doing a world tour with this band. Um, and, but that meant that they had to be apart for, for a year. And um, it was a really tough year for them. And I remember talking to her about it. And I just said, you know, how did you come to the decision of, of actually um, doing this, of him, of him, of being separated for so long? And she said to me, oh, we're just following the favour. And it was such a, uh, in that moment, I was just, I just realised that that is just not how favour works. That you, you're not supposed to follow the favour, the favour is supposed to follow you, not the other way around. And if Nehemiah had have followed his favour, he would never have left his job with the king. To follow God, you have to be willing to risk where you have favour. And that is why Nehemiah was so terrified when he went to speak to the king, because he wasn't following his favour, because he was sacrificing it. Nehemiah risked everything, and he was stirred to take action even before he heard from God. I just find that amazing. It's not even until verse 7, after he's been in Jerusalem for, for three days, that he says that God has given him a plan. I, just, I think that's amazing. And it shows us how connected Nehemiah was to God's nature and to his will. Now, I think that as Christians, at times, we can get a little bit weird with our relationship with God's will. I'm just going to put it out there, guys. <laughs> and a classic example of when this happens is when we pray for someone who is sick, who is suffering, who is like terminally ill, and we pray a prayer like, God, if it is your will, would you heal this person? Guys, if we don't know that it's God's will to heal the sick and bring restoration into people's lives, then we absolutely have to get to know God better. And we have to get to know our role within that. He wants to co-labor with us to see his will come to fruition. And we, we, are not, we are not powerless in this life as believers. It is our role to co-labor through our faith to see Jesus get his full reward that he, that he paid for on the cross. And I think that many of us, myself included at times, have distorted God's will into a mystery that paralyzes us from moving forward in our lives. We use this distortion to hide our fear, 
of not wanting to make the wrong choice by elevating doing the right thing into an unattainable idol. It's like God's will is a video game. And if we turn left when we should have turned right, then we're not going to see that person healed. We're not going to have that desire of our hearts fulfilled. But if there's anything I can tell you today, God is bigger than that. He is so much bigger than that. And Nehemiah totally understood this. He had a deep understanding that it was going to take him co-laboring with God to see this promise fulfilled. Nehemiah's heart was moved before God even deposited his plans to rebuild the walls because he knew God's nature and he knew that God's will was inside of his nature. How do we know that God wants to heal? Because his name is Rapha, which means healer. How do we know that God wants to provide? Because his name is Jehovah Jireh, which means provider. How do we know that God wants to walk through every single minute of every single day with us? Because his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is easy to know and his will is easy to know. How often do we see injustices and think someone should do something about that? Why hasn't that been fixed? Why is that people group still oppressed? We sit on the sidelines of our lives waiting for a green light from God waiting for a supernatural sign, hoping one day that we'll know his will. But God is easy to know and his will is easy to know. We named our church after it. We literally named our church after God's will. Go out, proclaim good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom to the captives. Release from darkness to the prisoners. Comfort all those who mourn. You do any of that, you are 100% in God's will. How often are we willing to say, I'm, I'm going to give up my comfortable lifestyle and everything I know because I am so possessed with the knowledge of God's heart and his promise for his people. If we're brave enough, we can learn from Nehemiah and we too can truly have an impact on the world around us. We can bring heaven on earth. Now, Nehemiah was a man on a mission and you know one of the, one of the best things about being a believer um, apart from maybe like getting free from sin and salvation and all, all of those things. One of the best, it's top five, top five best things about being a believer is that we get an inbuilt mission. We get an inbuilt mission and I know that life can feel really high stakes. I know that it can um, and that we've got to be in the exact right place at the right time and make the right decision. But the truth is, is that even if you make all the wrong decisions, you still, you, you still have a mission. 
you're, you're still in God's will. Isn't that amazing? You can't stuff it up. You just, you can't. Because wherever you are, Jesus has given you this mission. Go into the world, preach the good news of the gospel to everyone you meet. Now, coming back to the remnant, the faithful ones, the ones who swam upstream when everybody else was swimming downstream, the ones who have held on to the promise despite all circumstances, and to everybody whose heart has grown weary in the waiting, I've got really good news for you. God takes a long time to move quickly. What was broken in Jerusalem for 70 years was restored in just 52 days. It is not too late and God has not forgotten you. There is a plan and a purpose for you no matter what turn you've taken. And I want to say this, that you, you are carrying the hope of the world the hope of this world is inside of you. We um, have been studying healing in this last couple of weeks at Sockham, which is our School of Kingdom Ministry. And um, just in this on th- in Thursday's session, um, as someone was was sharing something, I just got this vision, this picture. Of, um, of what healing looks like um, in the kingdom. What we were talking about was what happens when you pray for someone and they don't get healed. And we we're talking about living in that tension of contending for healing, but also being there and, and mourning with people when it doesn't happen. And I had this picture of, I don't know if you've watched the film Dunkirk or that you know any, any of the history of that. Um, but basically, um, the, the, allied, the allied forces were being um, forced out of France because it was being taken over by German rule. And um, they were trying to get out of Dunkirk and they'd lost so many men and it was, it was a terrible, terrible time. Basically, all of these people who had boats from England just started sailing over and picking up the soldiers from Dunkirk and taking them back to England. And there's this amazing scene at the end of the film um, where some of the the soldiers who followed their story are on a train coming back into London. And people are are, like tapping on the windows and they say, don't look at them, don't look at them. We'll never be able to face them because we've lost. But the people who are greeting them are cheering them on and they're they're giving them food and drinks through through the train. And then Winston Churchill gives this amazing speech that day and he says, it doesn't, we'll, it doesn't matter if they, if they come onto our beaches, we will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them on the fields. It doesn't matter how long this fight is, we will never surrender. And this is the picture that I have for healing. When we pray for someone, we are soldiers out there bringing the kingdom. But when it doesn't happen, all of heaven is still cheering us on. And we might have, might have lost the battle that day in Conk, Conk, uh, that day in, what's it called, Dunkirk. 
but we did not lose the war. And we will win so many battles, so many more battles when we have our eyes fixed on the victory of winning the war. I know that. I know that. And I know that a lot of people in our community right now need healing. And I'm not giving up on you. My faith is not giving up on you. Let's come together. Let's cheer each other on. Let's not get disheartened about this. Let's keep our eyes on what Jesus paid for. Because healing is real. This God that we're serving is real. And he is the God of miracles. I'm way off my script. (laughs) Whether you're in a 70-year battle or whether you're in the 52-day fight, you will overcome. You will overcome. Now, just uh, just coming into land, I um, I have something that I need to tell you guys. Have a little bit of a life update, <laughs> um, and actually, it feels it feels kind of difficult to to um, tell you guys about this, um, but <laughs> so I'm just I'm just going to go for it. Um, but basically, after four years of um, loving and serving this community, um, I feel that it's my season here is finished, is coming to, coming to an end. And as Elias was saying at the beginning of the service, um, you know, the great thing about COVID is that it's given us time time to reflect on our lives, time to listen to God. And just since the beginning of January, God has been knocking on the door of my heart and he's been calling me to go. And it feels like the cost is exceptionally high because it's really easy to leave something that you don't like, but it's very difficult to leave people that you love and a community that you love. And um, it does feel like quite a high-stakes decision as it might mean that I am not in this country anymore. (laughs) Um, But sometimes when God opens a door, it resembles a cliff edge. I've got to tell you, like, he rarely does God give you the instructions of what is going to happen. He gives you the map of what's going to happen, you know, when he gives you the idea to leave. <laughs> you know, usually it's only when you reach the past of the point of no return. Um, like Nehemiah did, you know, he didn't get his, his uh, plan until he'd been in Jerusalem for three days. Um, and I feel like... I feel like, I, I, and I just want to talk about this just for a minute because it's just, it's, it's so, um, I don't know, it's just really on my heart. But I think that one of three things happens when you step off the cliff of trusting God. First one, which is probably the best one, is that you get to, you find out that you can fly. And you saw, man, you saw into lands that you never knew was possible. Like, like what 
where God takes your life is so out of the box, you could never have dreamt it. It's so incredible. It is so incredible. And the, the second thing that could happen is that you step out onto solid ground and God supernaturally extends your season and, and things happen that could never have happened unless you'd fully trusted him, unless you'd fully stepped into trust. And the last thing that can happen, and I feel like this is the thing that I have the most experience in, is that you plummet into (laughs) the ravine of refining fire where God gets really obsessed with your character (laughs) and where you get to have this really quality time of really just just becoming a better person. And you get to overcome disappointment and disillusionment. And it's, it's, it's a real special place down in that ravine. <laughs> but honestly, no matter what happens when you step off the cliff of trusting God, you know him more at the end of it. You know him more at the end of it. And it's so unbelievably worth it. It is so worth it. Um... So for anyone who is, who's feeling the knock on their hearts, I want to encourage you to listen to that and to trust God. And no matter what happens, you're going to be on mission and you're going to be in his will. Even if you're in the refined fire of the ravine, he will be there with you and it will be great. <laughs> um... I just, I just want to say, and this is a, just a bit of a side note, but over the last week especially, I think I've been struggling with a lot of guilt with this decision, like just feeling like I'm leaving people behind that I love or I'm letting people down. Um, but coming back to Nehemiah um, and what Tabitha said a couple of weeks ago, you can't, one person can't build the whole wall. And you've got to be faithful. I have to be faithful to knowing what my part was here. And I don't really know what it was, but whatever it, <laughs> whatever it was, I think I definitely, God is like, you've finished your part of the wall. And now there'll be an opportunity for someone else to step in. Um, so this isn't goodbye for me. I am still staying to finish all of my um, my commitments, and so I'll be staying for the next couple of months um, to see all of them out. But it's just a, a heads up that changes on the horizon. Um, so yeah, so I love you guys, and thank you so much for just doing life with me. And um, I can't wait to see, you know, to see where this road takes us um but just i just would love to pray for people just coming back to what i was talking about um i just want to pray for people as we go into worship um who are the faithful remnant people who have been holding on to the promise of god over their lives whether it's contending for a desire of their heart or whether it's contending for healing i just really feel like there is a grace today There is a grace here today for breakthrough in these areas. I can feel it. I can feel it so deeply. So, Father, 
just everyone who is is listening to this right now. Jesus. Would you deposit courage into our hearts? Would you awaken hope where hope is being lost? And would you remind us of the promise that you've given us? Remind us of the promise, God. Holy Spirit, would you turn our attention back to your promise? faithful remnant, God sees you. He's heard every prayer. He's catched every tear. Put your seatbelt on and get ready because when He comes, He comes. He turns up. He shakes things up. He he moves everything. So Jesus, Jesus, would you come in people's lives this morning? Holy Spirit, we turn to you and we trust you with our lives. We trust you with our lives. Thank you that you've made your nature known to us. Thank you that your your names are not just words, but they are your nature. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.